Hey guys, it's Josh Rubin here on the Rubin Special with my good friend Sandy Krause. He is the uh, master of the universe, all things legal here in Manhattan. Wanted to have him join us for uh, this episode so that he can talk to us about what's trending in Manhattan as far as uh, the legal side of things is concerned because he does a ton of volume just like we do at the Rubin team. So Sandy can tell us a little bit about what he's seeing, not just with our deals, but exponentially throughout the spectrum with some of the top brokers in Manhattan, Sandy, uh, you know, tell us what you're seeing. Yeah, so thank you very much for having me, Josh. I mean, the truth is, is that I'm seeing a large amount of increased volume lately. To be honest with you, our deal flow stopped in mid-March, and now it's it's thriving again. I mean, last week, last two weeks, we've probably done 40, 50% more deals than we did in the in mid-March, right? So we're seeing a lot more. I'm not sure about pricing. You'll know a lot more than I do about that. But um, we're seeing deals trading, we're seeing renegotiations, which we can talk about, but basically we're seeing a very large increase in volume in the last two or three weeks for sure. Yeah, well, we're definitely seeing an uptick in interest, both on the buy side and the sell side. We're actually doing two deals right now uh, that are, you know, one is trading very close to the asking price. We're talking about, you know, three or 4% from the asking price on something that was actually on the market for a while pre-COVID. And then it was on the market throughout the time that we were on the stay-at-home order. Uh, and then what happened is uh, interest started to build. Somebody actually made an offer preemptively um, uh, without even seeing it. I told the broker, "Hey, you know, you you got to see the got to see the listing, right?" And she's like, "Well, you know, my buyer is comfortable just doing it uh, sight unseen." And then we got you know pretty close, about five percent away, and the buyer said, "You know what? I want to come in and see it." So, so she came in and saw it. She reaffirmed her position. Uh, the seller uh, countered you know, marginally, and then the buyer came up and we now have an accepted offer, tentatively speaking, uh, about 3% or 4% away from the asking price. Yeah. Another listing that we brought on the market for the first time last uh, Saturday, within four days of listing it, we had uh, an accepted offer at 100% over asking price. So if that's a reflection of, uh, of you know what we're going to experience in a couple of weeks when we officially you know are able to show again uh, you know I'll take it uh, that was a listing that we had on the market last spring for a couple months and didn't get any nibbles on and here we are right out of the gate 100 percent of the ask yeah yeah what we're seeing also is you know Josh as you remember when we were first doing this in mid March we were working on deals that you already had shown people apartments for right 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 I'm, I'm actually now starting to see deals where people are either seeing virtual tours, right? Yeah. Or, or making deals sight unseen, as you know, I mean, a lot of people for on new developments, they're buying on spec basically anyway, they're going to the model units maybe, but a lot of them are looking online. And with the advent of the technology with the virtual showings, I got two deals this week, clients have not seen the apartment. And we're talking about major prices, over $5 million. Wow, um, that's um, huge. Yeah. So Sam, walk us through that a little bit, because I'm sure our friends and you know the rest of the country who are tuning in today uh, can't really understand uh, how somebody can actually, you know, move forward, make an offer, have an offer accepted, go through due diligence that you can actually complete, and sign a contract committing to the purchase without even seeing the home. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, look in New York. Uh, you know, the way that we handle our transactions is basically all electronic anyway. The truth is, is that 
management companies in New York, when you buy condos and co-ops, have been um, very cooperative in being able to say, normally, Josh, you know, as you know, some of your viewers may not know, but we review minutes, right? Um, those are board minutes that are done. Uh, managing agents uh, normally only allow us to go into the management company and inspect those minutes. These days, they're agreeing as long as we don't disclose them because they're proprietary information, that we get them online, right? Somebody emails them to us. Um, uh, brokers are being uh, 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 very um, technology savvy and getting getting deals done over the internet. For me, from a due diligence perspective, everything gets signed electronically. I don't think in the 15 years or so that I've been practicing that maybe a handful of times a client's come into my office to sign a contract, right? So it's it's very rare. So, you know, we operate in an electronic world anyway. And, and my feeling about this, and I think it's actually something that could be very positive about this, which is I have a feeling that deals are going to work like this a lot easier. Lawyers can get deals done a little bit quicker. We don't have to congregate all in the same room to do closings. We can talk a little bit about that. But I think basically the advent of the virtual tours and the, the concept of brokers um, providing as much information online is the way that we're going to get deals done for now and maybe in the near future. Yeah. A lot, we're seeing a lot happen that that um, you know is is new to the market, and so I know that you were one of the first uh, people to uh, actually um, encourage uh, closings by power of attorney when this all started. Right, right. So basically, you know, the way that we felt the easiest way to conduct these closings was if the client consents and they were okay with it. You know, remember on sales, 95% of our deals are done by power of attorney anyway, right? Clients rarely want to show up to the closing or anything like that at that point. Um, right. But on purchases, we're finding that because of the remote notary rules and because we're trying to, you know, be responsible, right? Um, and, 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 and we really developed a strategy where we were just going to say, you know, give us the power of attorney as long as you're good with it you know, and the client consents, we'll do everything ourselves. We'll get you a closing statement. Today I had a closing. Um, I have a closing at, in, in two hours at two o'clock and we're doing a Zoom meeting uh, for going over the bank docs. Some clients yeah. want to go over all of them and we're happy to. And it, it makes it easy and people understand. And I think, I think it's funny, Josh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but about six or seven years ago, um, uh, a bunch of... Um, private equity guy or hedge fund guys came over to my office uh, through a client of mine and said, uh, uh, we've been commissioned to task. Uh, we're asking you to develop a software system where we can do all these real estate closings remotely. 
We'll enter, we'll do a war room where everyone goes in, sees everything, click a button and we're done, right? So I spent about two or three months consulting with them to try to figure it out. And it just never happened. It was too difficult to do. And I think now you start seeing the need for it. It wasn't because of a pandemic. It was because everyone was saying, why, why do I have to do this? It's such a pain in the butt. I have to take the day off of work, right? I have to do six hours of sitting in a room uh, with other people. Now I could see people starting to develop more software to be able to sort of be able to do these, conduct these closings. And I talked to a managing agent the other day at a very large management company that we're all familiar with. And I asked um, her, who I've had a relationship for a long time, and I said, I have an idea for closings in the future for co-ops. Let's not all gather. We'll sign a document. I'll bring it over to you. And then we'll exchange. And she yeah. said, yeah, no problem. That's what we're going to be doing from now on. That's what I feel like is going to be happening. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's important that we're ahead of the curve and that we're able to foresee, you know, potential hurdles that lie ahead of us. Obviously having to coordinate, I, I counted it once, I think it was uh, eight or 10 different schedules, depending on how many parties are on each side. You know, if we're dealing with an individual seller and an individual buyer, it becomes a little bit easier, but you know, oftentimes it's, you know, one couple selling to another couple, you have yeah. their respective attorneys. So right there, that's six people that need to be coordinated. Okay. Right. Then there's the managing agent, then there's the payoff bank, there's the lending bank, there's the respective attorney. So you're talking about a party of 10 or 12 people that need to be coordinated. And with this advent of being able to close remotely, we're talking about, you know, just saying, Hey guys, let's pick a date. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Pick yeah. a date. I'll, I'll send the paperwork to you. You sign it when you're done. You send it back to me. I'll have my guys sign it. We'll have the wire teed up, ready to go. As soon as, as soon as we have, you know, everything done, we can just tee up the wire and, you know, maybe it, maybe the wire doesn't clear until the next day, but at the end of the day, you know, we know that everything is out of the way. I mean, we yeah, had a, we had a closing that, that happened last Friday and the wire didn't clear for one reason or another until Monday or Tuesday of this week, because it, you know, it came in, it came in pieces, right. Mm -hmm. But you know, it happened and that's, what's most important. You know, a lot of things aren't happening these days. We have people who are, who are approaching counterparties, you know, buyers that signed what they call pre COVID, let's say, you know, March 1st or before we have some deals that the uh, buyers are saying, Hey, you know, I'm sitting at home with nothing better to do than knit and drink my tea. So what do I do? I turn on the TV and I'm bombarded by all this negative information. Today, only 200 people died. Yesterday, only 175. The day before that, it was 250. The, 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 you know, the curve is flattening. But you know what all these buyers are thinking is that, is that the sky is falling. Nothing could be further from the truth. And yet, what do they want to do? They want to approach sellers and say, hey, I want a discount. And so we're seeing these buyers uh, come to uh, the table and renegotiate and some sellers are telling them to take a walk. What do you What do you mean? Equities have bounced. There are some stocks that I'm watching, Sandy, which were ten dollars pre COVID, and now they're ninety dollars. Yeah. And, yep. and why is that? Because you know they're saying that they have some magical cure for the coronavirus, but you know they're not alone. There are tech stocks that are up double and triple. And mm -hmm. so you know the equity markets have bounced as a result of this federal stimulus. And when the doors open, I wouldn't be surprised if we're connecting the dots with where we were pre-COVID with where we will be post-COVID, or not post-COVID, but when things open up. So these yeah. buyers who are approaching these sellers to renegotiate and these sellers are going to sort of drop into their knees because they don't know what to expect. So people are caving and, and you know, some, some sellers 
are are you know agreeing to a discount. You know, so I think one person approached uh, approached us the other day and said, "Oh, we want you know ten percent off." And so, you know, I think that's a little much. They're just renegotiating. They're opening the door because they're opportunistic. I don't necessarily see the market correcting. What do you see? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, it's funny. You know, we we talk about what happened. Uh, I you know I as you did live through the 2008 crisis and we did a lot of work there, right? I don't know if there was an attorney in New York City that did more rescission type cases, had more new developments and that we were trying to figure out what stories. And I I tell this story all the time. I think out of all my clients that I had deals that people were like, I want out, I want to negotiate. Let's say there were 20 or 30 of them, maybe one or two did that. The rest of them stayed in and look what happened. Their apartments are worth thousands of percent more from 2008, right? So um, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I think what's happening here is something really, really interesting, which is in Mar- mid-March, you had everybody and late March saying, my portfolios are down 30 to 40%. I don't know what's going to happen. The economy's in shambles. We're on a sharp decline. I can't afford this apartment anymore. It's not worth what I think it you don't really have that argument anymore today, right? Your equities portfolio, if it followed the S&P or the Dow, you're down maybe 5%, right? Maybe maybe a little bit more, right? Um, and, you know, Josh, you, you had- um, And some um, people are up because what they did is they just, you know, they bought some more yeah. stock and they bought some more of these new companies, companies like Shop, uh, Shopify, uh, companies like Mercado Libre, which right. is the Amazon of Latin America, Companies like uh, Moderna, uh, Novavax. I mean, it's just it, the 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 names are endless. Uber is up fifty percent. I I actually it's one of the few companies that I bought. I bought Uber at twenty two. <laughs> you know, today is it you know thirty four. It's you know fifty percent gain, yeah. and that's on the low side. So I mean, look at the end of the day, you know, we got to know that people are not buying homes, whether it's apartments in the city or you know uh, an apartment in the Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, a house in the Hudson Valley. People are not buying them to, you know, sell them in a few weeks once the right. stock market goes up or down. People are buying them to use them, and they're going to use them for years. Yes. So, what, what are we talking about? These gyrations in the S and P and correlating to the value of the home. I, you know, I got to tell you, people are buying them to use for years. So let's keep our eye on the long term. Yeah, I mean, the tangible benefit. Like I tell anybody that's having a difficulty in figuring out whether they want to buy. It's funny, you know. That's your job, right? You tell them where they're buying and what they're doing, right? And whether they feel like their family is going to have a great time or whether it's a good investment. You know, at the very end, sometimes a client will say, hey, you know what? The broker tells me it's good, but what do you think, right? Yeah. And I always say the same thing, which is, look, are we buying it to sell it tomorrow? Are we buying it to sell it next week? Or are we buying it because you're going to live and you have the tangible benefit, right? It's an asset. It's the only asset class that you get to live in. Right. And it's nice to be able to do that and spend time and make memories. And that's a tangible thing. Right. And that's a value. Right. So who knows what's going to happen in the market? Who knows how many different kinds of recessions or depressions we're going to go through in the next five or 10 years? One thing I will tell you is if you just looked at a chart in real estate, it doesn't really go down. Right. There are some instances that it did in short term periods, but mortgage rates are good. Right. And, 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 and New York City is a place that's only a few square miles. Right. So I think people will be good. I think the truth is, is that the renegotiations is the tough thing. Right. Um, you know, because we have so many deals together, but even on all of my other deals, 
I don't know if there's a deal that hasn't been tried to renegotiate. And I, Josh, just like anything else that I do as an attorney, I got to play Jekyll and Hyde, right? One day I'll yell and scream at somebody asking for a price reduction. And then the next day I'm asking for a price reduction, right? right. So it's okay. And, and, and I always tell my clients, let's be honest about what we're trying to do here. Right. And everyone says, I mean, we had this instance the other day, you know, you read, go to MSNBC, prices are being renegotiated. Lawyers are online saying oh, all my clients are, prices are being renegotiated, but are they being, are they successful? You know, I don't know. I don't know what percentage of them, a few of them are right. But it's very fact specific. If the seller needs to sell or the seller went to go buy somewhere else, or if the seller knows that their apartment isn't worth as much, um, or if the seller has that type of personality, right? That thinks towards the future and the litigation that's involved in everything. Maybe there's a discount, right? And do you blame a buyer for asking? No, of course not, right? Um, do you blame a buyer for a seller for saying no? Of course not, right? But these are the negotiations that we do. And, uh, and, and it's fine if it happens. The truth is, is that um, uh, no one knows what's going to happen. Right, Sandy, a few weeks ago, I was talking to another uh, colleague, a uh, top broker from uh, uh, Corcoran, yeah. and uh, she told me about a buyer who uh, went to renegotiate a deal where they signed in the first week of March for nearly $10 million. The buyer tried to renegotiate, and the seller told them to take a walk. What did the buyer do? The buyer said, okay, keep my million-dollar deposit, and they left yeah. it on the table. A million dollars, and you know, now in retrospect, now that we're in, uh, you know, what? mid to late May, they're looking at the stock market and saying, oh, maybe that wasn't such a bright idea. I yeah. mean, what do, you tell, what do you tell buyers who are contemplating walking away from their deposits, whether it's a $500,000 studio or a $10 million four bedroom facing Central Park like this one? I, I tell them all the same thing, right? And I went through it in 2008. It's a really simple analysis, right? You don't tell a client whether they're doing something wrong or right, their decision, right? You don't know what their financial wherewithal. If they want to walk away from a million dollars, they can do it, right? Here's the one thing that I will tell you for certain. After all of the deals, whether they are pre-COVID, regular deals that we do, very small percentage of them wind up in litigation. And when they wind up in litigation, there's a value to them. There's a cost, right? Whether it's nuisance value, legal fees, et cetera, right? And I will tell you that out of all the 2008 cases that we did, and some after that, almost every single one of them walked away with some percentage of the deposit. So to walk away with the full deposit, to me, you know, unless it's something that it's an emergency and you need to do it, there's no reason to walk away because there's always litigation attached to it. A good attorney will always find something in that contract of sale to be able to hold on to it. And there's time and there's expense, right? But yeah. what I tell a buyer is, 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 you know, whether it's, it's 10%. And that liquidated damages provision in contracts is 10% in New York because it's a lot of money, right? So people don't want to walk away, especially at the $2 million, $3 million price levels, where two dollars or $300,000 may mean a lot more to someone buying at $20 million, where $2 million might not mean as much, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I always tell the same thing, which is, you know, we try our best to convince them not to do that, to think towards the eye. Because remember, it's also an asset you could sell. Right. In the worst case scenario, lots of transactional costs and we don't know what the sales market's going to be like. But not, only got, can you, not only can you sell it, but when we're talking about real property as far as ho houses 
and condos are concerned, you rent can it. rent it out. Yep, yep, yep. And that's what people, people are, are short-sighted like that because they get panicked, right? And just like in the stock market, you never sell, you never, you know, you never sell in a panic, right? In this case, I don't think that that people, I think people are coming to terms as to what's going on. And I think people are realizing that, sure, there could be a little bit of an exodus of New York City in certain pockets. At the end of the day, there's lots of value there. And sometimes right now is a great opportunity to buy it at, at value, right? Yeah. I, I really don't think that we're going to see an exodus here, Sandy. We're right. going to have, uh, you know, certainly an uptick in interest of people thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe I really do want a yard. Maybe I really sure. do want to live, you know, 10 or 15 minutes from a big park where I can go hiking and bring my dog or, yeah. you know, just, just live in the country. So yeah. you're going to see people dip their toe in the water a little bit. That's why there's an enormous surge in interest of people going to rent in places like Westport, New Canaan, Greenwich, Stanford, et cetera. Also in the Hudson Valley, where I know you have a house yeah. out in New Jersey. I mean, I'm talking to people at the Jersey Shore. You should see the prices of these places, you know, four bedroom variable uh, row homes with no pool. And they're asking $15,000 a month for a rental. It's crazy. In a normal market, this thing would rent for 4,000, maybe if they're lucky. And so, you know, we're seeing, you know, people going out and renting homes. Yes. Are they buying them? No. Are they giving up on the city altogether? Definitely not. I'm in touch with thousands of people, both on the buy and the sell side. You'd be surprised. Every single one of them have one thing in common. They're either upsizing or they're staying where they are in the city. And they're, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. If anything, they're taking advantage of, you know, the perception of a soft market and they're stepping into opportunities that they wouldn't have been otherwise able to get, you know, say six or you know, nine months ago. So yeah. some of them are actually taking taking down things where you know there is this you know perceived discount that's going to evaporate over the summer as we get into the fall. Then we're going to see you know election uncertainty and it'll be a you know sort of a, a different game altogether once we get into September October. Yeah, and you know, just you know, having lived here for as long as you do, even though you're a Jersey hometown person, but you know, having having spent most of your time in New York City, you know, I mean, the truth is is that New Yorkers. We're super resilient, right? And 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 what we do is we have a tendency to have a combination of resiliency and loving New York for what it is, right? And also in general, people have short-term memories, right? And so I think what's gonna happen is, and I hope, I hope that you know this doesn't get any that much terribly worse. And then, you know, at some point it's gonna go away and things will get back to normal. Things will change, right? The Patriot Act was created out of 2001, right? Um, things change, things, you know, we used to be able to walk into an airport and go on, now we got to take off our shoes, right? Little lifestyle things change over time, right? Laws get passed, things change, and maybe there'll be a more socially distant New York City. At the end of the day, it's New York City, right? So I don't think people will be leaving. I think people will seek refuge in different things. Like you just said, you know, we have a house up here in the Catskills, and our broker, you know, that we work with all the time just called me, right? And, and, and he said the same thing. You can get double for your house now if you want to for the summer, right? Unfortunately, I want to live here. Um, you know, so I think that that's just the way that it's working. People are seeking the single family homes a lot more often and maybe they do both, right? And I think that's why Hamptons real estate is getting expensive. Upstate New York is getting expensive. Local suburbs of, of New York City are getting expensive, right? And the single family home market in Manhattan, right? Townhouses, things like that. that that's a you know great opportunity to not have to share an elevator with somebody during something like this, right? 
Yeah. Have you seen any uh, uptick in uh, in townhouse transactions, either you or your colleagues? Because I know there's what a uh, a weekly Zoom meeting with other uh, attorneys in the city, and there's only one of them that I'm invited to. Though, so, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we 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 do congregate some of the lawyers that I that I work with closely, um, and uh, and truthfully, I think I've seen an uptick in larger spaces, right? which I think is akin to what's going on in the commercial real estate world as well. I think you're going to start seeing wider spread out floor pans, right? For offices, right? Maybe, maybe you don't need as much office space now. Maybe that's the way it's going to go, but certainly your plan that you're going to look like might be open more. So maybe more open space apartments, right? And certainly single family townhouses. I got a deal yesterday, a large single family townhouse on the Upper East Side. And uh, um, a deal she was circulated. And it's just, I spoke to the buyer and the buyer was along the lines of saying, you know, like, sure, this is a great opportunity for me, right? I don't live in a condo or in a co-op. I don't have to share my space with anybody, right? So that's a nice kind of opportunity. So a little bit of an uptick, uptick in that for sure. Did you uh, by any chance hear from that buyer that they were also looking at apartments and that they actually specifically chose this townhouse yeah, they primarily were. for the reason that they had more room to spread out and they don't have to rub elbows and take elevators and share common areas with, with neighbors? They weren't looking at townhouses. I know for a fact that they were looking at um, anything right in the area. And I think um, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think that they paid more where they're going to pay more if we close it. Um, uh, and I think they were just along the lines of saying, this is, this is something that I could, if this type of thing happens again, right, I won't have to go to the Hamptons or I won't have to go find a house somewhere, right? Um, um, and certainly I know a lot of people that, that live in single family homes all around the country that, that feel a little bit safer. You know I mean, Josh? We're in New York City, right? We got hit the hardest, right? Um, not everywhere is like this, right? Not everyone is walking around in fear like in New York City where the streets are empty, right? New York City is a little bit of a different animal. And I think, like I said before, I think, I think we're going to come back pretty strong, if not, if not stronger, I think, in a way. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we did come back stronger. I mean, if you remember, you know, Tribeca in the financial district before 2001, uh, and and you know, compare that to how it is today. Tribeca is one of the most expensive zip codes in the entire United States, and the financial district and you know the World Trade Center itself and how it you know connects to Brookfield Place. I mean, you know the the innovations and modernization that occurred as a result of that. You know, second to none with you know world class architects with uh, Calatrava and the Oculus. I mean, it's just incredible. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we come out of this, as I mentioned uh, the other day on our show, you know, with, you know, safer biking lanes, uh, maybe even less traffic, uh, people using public transportation a little bit more sparingly. So you're not crammed into that downtown six train like sardines for the morning right. commute. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are so many, uh, so many examples of urban living that people are going to think twice and say, you know, do I really need to, if I need to commute? Do I need to commute in rush hour? Can Look, I come they, in? Er, can I they, come in earlier and leave earlier, or come in later and leave later? Yeah, I mean, they. One thing that would tell you, they clean the subway for the first time, right? So that's a benefit, <laughs> right? I saw that, and I think that um, uh, 
from what I understand, although I have not, I live on the Upper West Side, I have not been to the Upper West Side since March 12th. From what I understand, West End Avenue is closed off to traffic and they just have people walking up and down it. So you wonder if things like that will change. I'm sure it won't be a permanent move, but, you know, just to free up some space and maybe, you know, maybe in a way we need that, right? Maybe being packed like sardines isn't healthy, right? And maybe there are ways that we could start learning. Look, I mean, if there's any benefit to what's been going on, it's certainly our acknowledgement that that our environment has to change in some way, right? And um, you know, I, I think that um, economically, it's it, it could be a hard hit for a little while, but I think we'll bounce back, and technologies will come out, right? And things will happen that'll make our lives better in New York City, and and that's what I'm hopeful for for sure. You know, yeah. I remember being pretty scared in in 2001, right? I think we all were, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody thought, you know, we had a moment there. We were said, you know, wait a second. We sort of, you know, rethought everything that we knew to be, you know, safe and true. You know, we had to rethink everything. And, you know, there are, there are other things that have happened over the years uh, that, you know, have really made me reconsider, you know, crowds and, you know, being among them. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of considerations that go into to things, but, you know, we all need to really think about, you know, how to maintain a sort of safe, healthy environment, uh, and and not take things advantage, not not yeah. take advantage of of things. You know, the other yeah. day one of our guests was saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm talking to our team. Uh, this was uh, Darren and Jeff the other day. They said, you know, we're talking to our team about, hey, if you feel sick, stay home. If you have appointments, you know, we're a team. We can cover your appointments for you. So." You know, no worries if uh, if you need a little bit more support and it'll enable us all to be, you know, healthier and, uh, you know, have a better environment collectively. Yeah. I mean, I've been talking with my office and I'm, I've talked to a couple other lawyers that I know. Um, you know, we need a conference room for our closings and we need some cubicles. Do we need the offices? Right. A lot of people that I know that are in private equity and finance, you know, and, and, and even you have said this before, that the collaboration creates productivity, right? You want to walk into someone's office and talk to them, right? You want to be able to do that. With us lawyers, it's a little bit different, right? Um, for residential real estate lawyers, we work pretty remotely, right? Yep. We're doing contracts, we're doing due diligence. We walk in my office, everyone works very autonomous, right? Everyone's autonomous. Each individual lawyer has their own deals and we all work together if we have questions, but you can call me. You don't have to walk into my office. We're not kind of, we're not, we're not thinking of business ideas, so to speak, right? We're not collaborating for that purpose, right? So, you know, uh, between Zoom meetings and between phone calls, I'm not sure we'll need such a large office space. And to be honest with you, that's good for the economy. For my purpose, I get to throw that money back into the economy, however way I want to choose to do it, whether or not I want to pay my employees more right? To save a big office expense or whether I want to, you know, go ahead and, and pour that money back into the economy that could help. Right. So, yeah, no, hundred percent. There's going to be, you know, rethinking of office space, but at the end of the day, the city's always going to be the city, uh, yeah. whether or not we need, you know, these, you know, 500,000, 500,000 square foot office spaces that, you know, Facebook and Amazon with its million square foot requirements that, you know, whether it be Hudson Yards or, you know, what have you, maybe we won't need that much space, right. but you know, it's always going to be the center of international trade, commerce, culture, theater, culinary, you know, 
rights, interests, you name it, it it's going to be here in New York. I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, in a year or two, but I think only good can come out of this. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, uh, Sandor, thanks so much for joining us. Sandy Krause, Sandy Krause is the hardest working attorney in the city. I, of course, am the hardest working broker, but Sandy is always available. He picks up when you call him. He doesn't try to, uh, you know, hide behind his uh, gatekeepers. 646-387-6341. And what is your, your email? It's Sandor at Krauslegal.com. Yep. Krauslegal.com. Lightning quick response time. Always available no matter what time, day or night, what the weather is, what the holiday is. Sandy is available. Sandy, thanks, thanks so much for joining us today on the Ruben special. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's a good time. You bet.